3: Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving and got to spend some time with your family and friends. Maybe a Friendsgiving if you couldn't get home to be with your family. Mine was wonderful because my parents made it so. We had to skedaddle out of there right after dinner because one of our dogs is sick. Don't want to get into that, but we left in such a hurry I didn't get to take the leftovers that my mom set aside for us, and I didn't take the apple pie. What was I thinking, leaving mom's apple pie? Dumbest move of the day, and all of that wonderful stuffing that she made, my favorite of all. Fortunately, I think she froze some of that for me, so I can't wait to get that. And on a separate note, as many of you know, I recently had right ankle surgery. It's from an old injury that was misdiagnosed about 25 years ago. So some cleanup work had to be done so I can get back to walking normal without pain and get back out on the golf course. I'm hoping to be walking normally again in time for the PGA Merchandise Show in late January, but I'm on the mend and hungry for the leftover Thanksgiving dinner. Can't get that off my mind. All right, enough of all of that. Let's get on to this week's show. I've got four wonderful guests lined up for you this week, starting with our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. With it being the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK, we're going to get into some golf conspiracy theories tonight. We'll talk about the rumors about John Rom defecting to live, Rory resigning his spot on the PGA Tour policy board and potentially moving back to England in a few years. We'll talk about where we are with the PIF-PGA Tour merger, plus a whole lot more when he joins me a few minutes from now. Following him, I'll get a visit from a guest Hall of Famer from our football show Thursday Night Tailgate, and that's Paul Alexander. Paul can be heard on 93.7 The Fan up in Pittsburgh. He does the pre- and post-game shows for the Pirates and Penguins as well. He's also very active in the Western Pennsylvania golf scene. He just hosted the Western Pennsylvania section Hall of Fame induction ceremony, so we'll talk about that. Very excited that I get to have Paul with me this week on the golf side. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, I'll be joined by Gary D'Amato. Gary is an officer for the Golf Writers Association of America and very active in the Wisconsin PGA section and is a Wisconsin Golf Hall of Famer. He's written some wonderful books, has a lot of great stories. I'm excited to have him make his next On the tee debut with me. He'll join me a little bit later on in the hour. And then we'll round things out with a visit from U.S. Kids Top 50 Master Professional Chris Knobloch. Chris is doing a great job growing our game through his junior golf programs. We'll learn how he's able to keep very young kids excited about the game. We'll find out how we can be good parents while our kids are learning the game without piling expectations on them. Plus, we'll get a lesson how to be a little bit better chippers. And he's got a great drill for that. So looking forward to having him here. He'll join me about an hour from now. So a lot of great stuff in store for you this week here on Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much. For tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, and I have been working with a company called Kickpoint. And they have done some magical things with our logos and created some polo shirts with some wonderful designs where they take our logos and turn them into designs on a polo shirt. They're absolutely outstanding. Kickpoint Golf is a private label custom golf apparel company making bespoke polo shirts, quarter zips, and hoodies for those selected clubs looking to take their branded game to a whole new level. If you want to check out their apparel, and again, it's going to knock your socks off, send an email to info at kickpointgolf.com. They'll get right back to you. There's no middleman. They're going to go right to the guys that do this work. You're going to check it out, and you are really going to love what they do. I'm going to start showing the uh, polo shirts that they designed for me on my Instagram, at CT Mascaro. Check them out there so you can get a sample of what they look like. These guys know where it's at. Now let's talk about golf getaways and buddy's trip locations. When you're thinking about that, think about our friends over at the Mclemore, which is a wonderful resort located just south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, high atop Lookout Mountain. It is a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the U.S. by Golf Digest. The 18th hole is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world a second course the keep is under construction and will open summer of 2024 the keep is a bill bergen reese jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge with every inch of that edge filled up with a golf hole a world-class hotel cloudland lookout mountain curio collection by hilton will open spring of 2024 both have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You got to see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at McLemore. Go online to Macklemore.com to book your stay and play package. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability, with their fingerprint technology, creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel in your hands shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now back with us is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick, just like he is every other week. And as you know by now, he has a new home at Twin Eagles in Naples, Florida. They won the Director of Instruction Lottery. They get to have Tom there with them now. Go check out his website, tompatry.com, plus subscribe to that YouTube channel. It's free to subscribe, and on there you're going to get access to over 300 free video playing lessons. Give him a follow on Instagram, at TomPatryGolf. And like I say all the time, it's a joy that I get to say every other week, he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, T.P., how are you, my friend? boy! (laughs) T.P., how are you?
1: I'm kind of, I had six in a row today. It was cold. It was chilly. Cold. It, it, was, it was never got above sixty-two here today. Oh, yeah, it was chilly. It was, uh, you know, I'm very sensitive. I'm very sensitive. You
3: know. <laughs> you know, geez, come on, you know. Did
1: listen? I want to congratulate your Pittsburgh Steelers on being the best worst team in football.
3: Thank you. We yeah. are the best worst team in football, and congratulations is definitely no order. Hey, look. We got over 400 yards, first time in 58 games. Over 400 yards.
1: You're 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 definitely a threat now. You're definitely yes, a
3: threat. We're, it, yeah, we're a tremendous slouch.
1: All the way to the Super Bowl.
3: Here we go. <laughs> you know? Indeed, and your pizza boy played well.
1: Oh my God, my pizza boy. It's you know it it's it's I I don't know whether to be happy, sad, mad, angry, confused. I don't know. I don't even know what to be. You know, just
3: <laughs> Tommy terrible. DeVito.
1: Yeah, terrible, terrible, <laughs> awful.
3: Awesome. You got a $40 million problem when, uh, when your quarterback gets healthy, because now Tommy yeah. the pizza boy, he's going to come in there and uh, he's going to wreck things for you.
1: Well, you still got Tyrod Taylor sitting out there, too, right? I mean, what yeah. you no, come on, goodness. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know? Yeah. All right, let's okay. get into it, my friend. Because come on, let's
1: do it. Let's do this. Let's do this. Come on.
3: Last come on. week was the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination. So tonight we're going to talk conspiracy theories. Oh In and God. around the I, game, I can't of golf.
1: believe I can't believe that's your segue. Well, by the way, by the way, pre your segue, which is terrible. By the way, thank you. What number show is this for you and I? Eighty-eight. Who would want to talk to me eighty-eight times? <laughs> I mean, does that not say something about you? Seriously, it
3: does say something about my judgment.
1: <laughs> Who would want to talk to me eighty-eight times? My wife is like, why does he want to talk to you?
3: <laughs> Indeed.
1: By the way. Okay, go, let's go.
3: So we're going to talk conspiracy theories around the game of golf. There are a handful of scenarios I want to get your thoughts on, starting oh, with yeah. Rory resigning his position on the PGA Tour policy board. And then following that announcement, we learned that he's looking at moving back to England in a few years, wants to raise his daughter back in England. So now if you throw on top of that, all the rumors tied to John Rahm potentially being offered $600 million, to defect to the live tour, which, oh, by the way, he hasn't come out and denied like he did a year ago, and the PIF PGA tour partnership, which is due to be finalized a month from now. Do you think there's any connection between any of those things and maybe a European power play of some sort, maybe trying to send a message to the tour and to Jay Monahan? What are your thoughts about all of those things?
1: I don't care. Wow. Ah, don't, you don't, I don't care? care. I am so over this live thing. It's unbelievable. First of all, if Rory wants to move back to England, I'd like to chip in and help buy his ticket. Okay. So let's, you know, it's, that's number one. I, you know, the Rory McElroy thing. I'm a good guy. I'm a bad guy. I'm a whiner. I'm a, I'm a leader. I'm a this. I'm a that. I make a rule that I violate by the rule I make. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so over Rory McElroy. It's not even funny. I'm sure he's a wonderful young man. Uh, Qantas never never of crashes. Let's get him a ticket, send it back to England. That's no problem. Not a problem. I think that's a wonderful idea. John Rahm, six hundred million. So my question about that is: Now we're hearing a bunch of stories that this guaranteed money isn't all paid up front; it's paid in increments, and and some guys have questioned when they're getting paid, or how much they're getting paid, or how it's broken out. So, uh, you know, I I, is it guaranteed six hundred million? Is it six hundred million up front? Is it 600 million in increments? Is it 600 million if you play so many events? I'm sure all those things are being discussed. But if it's 600 large up front, how do you say no? Because, first of all, he's guaranteed, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, he's guaranteed all four majors for the next five years, is he not?
3: That's right. Some, so some he, more than others, but yes, for five so years gotten, for sure. He's got, he's got them all locked
1: up and he's got Augusta for life. Okay. So he's unlike some other guys, like you know Taylor Gooch, who went over there. The Gooch Gooch went over there for you know whatever he went over there for. Now he's whining he can't get into tournaments. Well, guess what, Taylor, you can't have it both ways, asshole. Now back to John. So if it's six hundred million large up front and he's guaranteed majors, you know that's that's a lot of pie, my man. That's a lot of pie, right? I mean, I, I I'd like to see the breakout though, Chris. On if it's all up front. And then you pay taxes in, first of all, US now got a residency. Okay, he's got a residency in Spain, and you pay tax in every country you play in. And we saw this last year with, with Taylor Gucci, as a matter of fact, right? Yep. That you know, he won an event, it broke out that he you know he got a fraction of what we thought he was gonna get. So I'm sure all those things are being discussed and looked at, and I'm sure these guys have great advice from agents and, and, and accountants. Um, but back to my original statement, who cares?
3: <laughs> okay. So let's go in a, a slightly different, bent to all of that. At a time when everyone will tell you our game is in a great spot, right? Play is up since COVID happened. Um, it just oh, it feels like the tour is a, is a little bit desperate, though, from what we're seeing. I mean, NBC Sports announced that they are not going to bring Paul Azinger back. We've learned they wanted him to take a pay cut. They also let Brant Packer go, who was a 15-year producer for them. Now, that's not the PGA Tour. That is a TV outlet in in response to what's going on around the game of golf. They also didn't send their production staff, NBC Sports, that is, to Italy to cover the Ryder Cup. They did it remotely from their headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut. We saw the AT, that AT&T pulled their sponsorship, of the Byron Nelson classic to focus theoretically on pebble Beach. On one hand, we've got prize money going through the roof on the PGA tour. On the other hand, we have advertisers and TV media cutting back. Those things don't align to me, Tom. They don't no, feel like a, an overall game that's going in the right direction.
1: No, I think, I think there's, a, I think there's a lot of question marks out there right now. Cause I think you're absolutely right. You know, where is this going and where where is it gonna land and when when it lands, how hard is the touchdown you know um it's it's it you know and there's so many we we haven't got an agreement right we don't we don't know about the live p j tour thing we don't know if there's another sponsor we don't know if there you know there's something going on behind the scenes. It's been awful quiet i mean you know we, just like you said i mean they they cut azinger you know from a production standpoint. But yet the PGA Tour is looking for bigger purses and, and exclusive events. And it's it doesn't match up, does it? It just doesn't seem like it matches up.
3: Now, I had Frank Nabilo on the show last week, and we talked about some of these things. And what Frank said was, globally, the TV ratings for golf just aren't there. In fact, he said, outside of the U.S., volleyball gets higher TV ratings around the world than <laughs> golf does. Yet somehow, just like we said a moment ago, million purses have turned into $20 million purses. I know part of the reason was to keep the players from defecting to live earlier this year. But $20 million purses are going to be back again, like you just mentioned, in 2024. I mean, heck, the LPGA just announced a record $116 million in prize money on their tour for 2024. We've seen the PGA Tour reject investment offerings from the Fenway Sports Group and from Endeavor, which is the parent company of the WWE, the, the UFC, and IMG. Now, I mean, if PIF holds the right for first refusal for outside investment money in the framework of their partnership, to your point of a moment ago, does that either make the PIF partnership something that is going to be eminent and then that's going to go through? Or do you think, like you sort of alluded to, like I say a moment ago, that the PGA Tour has an ace in the hole somewhere so that if the money doesn't happen from PIF, it's going to come from somewhere else, not those other two companies I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, I, I, let's go. Let's go. Let's go two extremes. They don't have an ace on the hole, and they're scrambling at the last second here. And when the smoke clears, the Saudis do have control of the PGA Tour. That's that's one extreme. And The other extreme is it's been awful quiet. They don't seem very panicked, and there is an ace in the hole, and they pull it out. They pull the rabbit out of the hat at the twenty fourth hour, and they tell the Saudis to have a nice trip you know, talk to you later. Um, I, I don't know. It, it just, it just, it's perplexing that we're this close to the start of the season and, and nobody seems to know, at least publicly, what's going on. I gotta, I gotta lean back on the fact that I have a lot of faith. And I, I think a lot of Jimmy Dunn and his, his business actor that he wouldn't be involved unless he thought he could pull the rabbit out of his hat. And he has so many connections corporately and in the business world that he's been out there shopping things, and maybe maybe there's something going on. That that's that's a, talk about a conspiracy theory. There's one coming from me, but if they don't have an ace in the hole, boy, they 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 no longer control golf worldwide. It, it somebody else does.
3: Um. This week, the tour announced the winners of the Player Impact Program for this season. And it's such a farce. I mean, some of the players even called that out last week when the announcement came out because the two top guys getting the bulk of the money were, of course, Rory and Tiger. Tiger, a guy who played all of three rounds of golf this year. And Rory, I'm guessing, as payback for the tour, making him a sacrificial lamb, his words, earlier this year because Tiger didn't bring a single person out to a golf tournament this year. And he certainly wasn't out there on social media Tweeting about how great the PGA Tour is. I mean, who can forget Jay Monahan scripting a you know a thing for Tiger to read, talking about how great Jay is. So I I, I'm I'm concerned about this this PIP program. I think we all recognize it's kind of a farce. And if look if it's a thing that you just want to pay your top twenty favorite players, and Tiger's always going to be one or two, and Rory's always going to be one or two, we do that privately hand them some money, say, thank you very much. This is some money that we've held back. We're going to give it to you guys. We appreciate you, but to put it out there under the guise that the tiger woods is out there promoting the PGA tour, bringing eyes and clicks and people out the golf tournament when he's not even playing in them. And again, certainly isn't tweeting about him It just, it just makes the whole thing seem dumb.
1: Next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, re- it's like you said, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, they don't really they don't really tell you how they arrive at these rankings to divide this money up it's it's not transparent at all and and like you said we how does tiger become number 1 or Rory number 2 i it doesn't even i mean it doesn't even seem possible you know based on what they've done you know via social media and, and moving the needle other than the fact that you know the media talks about them all the time and but he, but he doesn't play golf. I mean, he doesn't, basically doesn't play golf anymore. Now, that being said, with the Zero World Challenge this week, I've never seen so many ads on TV and so many cutaways to commercials on radio about Tiger playing this week again. And coming home from work today, Chris, all in a 12-minute in a drive from Twin Eagles to the house, I was flipping stations, and every station I flipped to, in in a six minute drive, and had a commercial on about the Hero World Challenge and Tiger playing golf this week. So, I mean, if if you say if you go to, ta ta, ta 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 boom, the, the, <laughs> the needle the, 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 the needle moves. I mean, it's unbelievable. Now the Rory thing, you got me on that one. I mean, I you know, I I would have thought there'd been other stories out there that would have moved the needle more than Rory. This, this, although, even in the negativity of him coming off the player's board, him moving to England. It, it's all news and it all moves the needle. Does that count? Well, we don't know if it counts because we don't really know what the formula is, you know. Um, and, and who exactly is putting this money up? I mean, and do they really see value in putting that money up? Right. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I'd like, to, I'd like to know more about it.
3: Tom, we lost a giant in our game last week that too many people don't know enough about, and that is Eddie Marin. I want you to talk about who Eddie was.
1: Eddie Marins was um, the longtime professional at Bel Air Country Club in Los Angeles, and and a uh, um, a longtime coach at UCLA um, developed and coached so many great players. I mean, the ones that come to mind right off the top of my head are Corey Pavin and Craig Stadler. Um, but he but he coached twenty five guys. You'd know who they are in the PGA Tour minimum that came through the UCLA program or from the Southern California area. Um, I had the great pleasure, Chris. Of, of meeting Eddie on a couple of different occasions. The first time I met him, it's a great story. I was still playing for a living. I was playing in a tournament called the Queen Mary Open and staying with a uh, family friend in Los Angeles who was putting me up for the week and uh, a, kind of a Wall Street type guy and he invited me a um, couple de- couple nights for the tournament to go to a party he was invited to and I thought, you know, a party, that's fine, let's go to a party, that's great and he took me to a party at um, King World Productions family. So King World Productions, if you don't know who they are, they, you know, they did uh, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and all those kind of game shows. It was a huge, you know, wealthy Southern California media company family. And this party was at a quote unquote, and I'm not kidding when I say mansion, I mean mansion. Um, in the in the back, <laughs> the back forty. I'm I'm kind of making it up, but the back forty had this huge expanse and there was, you know, outdoor dining and there was, you know, catering and cocktails and, and a, and a band and a dance floor. And we walked out there and and amongst these people in the dance floor was this little guy in a blue blazer and a white Hogan hat and, and a shirt and tie. And, and you know, Eddie Marins was not a very big man cutting the rug. And I said to my host, Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, who is that? He goes, that's Eddie Marins. And I knew the name, but at the time it didn't really mean a lot to me. And and I, I met him for a brief brief second, and that was my first introduction. But he was out there just dancing up a storm, and it was it was it was, it was kind of funny because he was dressed in kind of this country club golf attire, blue blazer type of thing. And my next meeting was the first time I got to play Bel Air. Now knowing who Eddie Merens was, and couldn't have made me feel more welcome. I was there playing with a couple girls. So I was coaching on the ladies tour. We were on our way to the then Dinah Shore, and we stopped in L.A. to play some golf. And he came out to the first tee and, you know, couldn't have been more gracious. I knew I was at Westchester at the time. And I didn't realize this until he told me, but he worked at Westchester early in his career as, a, as an assistant professional. So we had kind of this little bond and we spoke for a while and it just was so gracious. And then I remember during the round, he rode out on the car to see how we were doing and kind of rode along a couple of holes, just, just talking golf and telling stories and like a walking, talking history book. Um, and then the final time I, I met Eddie was at the last uh, U.S. Open at Shinnecock. I was uh, I was there running the range facility for uh, Jack Druga, the pro at the time that week. Denise and I were there running the range facility during the open, and Eddie Eddie came out to the open and he spent the week on the range because so many of his players were playing and guys he knew, and uh, came right up to me, remembered me. We had a, we had a nice chat, but just a class act, a you know world class teacher. Um, one of the real gentlemen in the game was you know, again, was a was an icon in Southern California uh in golf and in the PGA of America. And uh somebody will really miss because he was just one of those old school, you know, just gentlemen of the game, you know, just so 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 perfectly PGA professional, fuel hill, um, but but just a world of golf knowledge and and you know his nickname was the little pro, and, and it was it was so perfect for him, and he, and he embraced he embraced the nickname. And we uh, we all, we all he, he couldn't he could not like Eddie Marins; it was impossible not to like him.
3: So Tom, you've been in the company and and uh, worked around and for and with so many of the legendary PGA professionals in our game over over the course of your career. Who are some of the other really great guys or gals? that you've had an opportunity to be around that are some of the top PGA professionals that had an impact on you?
1: Well, from a teaching standpoint, Chris, I mean, um, people that, you know, don't get enough recognition and the public doesn't really know, but in the business are icons and certainly the guys to come to my, my, you know, tip of my tongue right away. Uh, first of all, guy, you know, you've gotten to know through me. Bob Ford is certainly one of those people, um, long time professional at Oakmont and Seminole, uh, who's been, been there every time I needed him. Uh, if not, even when I didn't need him, he's always there and available. Bill Strasbaugh Jr., the longtime professional at Columbia Country Club in uh, just outside of Washington D.C., who was a former National Teacher of the Year award winner, was like my dad. Uh, Bill Bill opened up so many doors for me uh, early in my career when I I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And he not only did he help me with my teaching himself, because he's a wonderful teacher and has an unbelievable eye, um, but opened up doors to go see, you know, every person conceivable in the country that I couldn't I couldn't get to on my own. Um, Jim Flick, um, you know, one of the great professionals who's you know, who's gone also. Um, Bob Tosky, uh, David Ledbetter, um I'm try I don't want to even miss anybody because so many of these guys have been great to me. Um, Mac O'Grady, um, Mike Herbin, uh, you know, so many of these guys are either national award winners or you know, just legends in teaching. Um, but one of the things I always, you know, I talk to assistants about this all the time is anybody thinks they got to where I got to on my own or anybody else has gotten to on their own is a fool. We've all had incredible mentorship and people who have looked out for us and that's the fraternity that is the pga of america um and so many of these people uh have meant the world to me and, and 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 given me so many opportunities by by giving giving me of their own time giving of their own time to me or allowing me access to other people that i could never have gotten to without their help um and and for that you know how could you not be grateful but um you know, I, I know I'm missing some people, and I feel awful about that. But Eddie Merens was one of those people too, even though I only met him a few times. You know, I I called on Eddie for some advice a couple of times, and he always picked up the phone and answered my phone call, and and we and we had some great chats. Um, but you know, it's it's oh, Tom Nieporty, who was a longtime professional at Wingfoot. Um, another person that you know, from the time I was a youngster, who I got to know. Um was one of those people as well. John Kennedy at Westchester Country Club, who I worked for for 11 years. Um, how could I even not, not mention him? So, you know, I've been blessed, Chris, and, and anybody who's gotten even near where I am in the business right now have ha- has had people who have helped us get to where we are. We did not do it on our own.
3: 100% agree with that. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the things you're doing and follow you on your website and on social media?
1: Well, Chris, the easiest place is the website, which is just tompatry.com. But, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook are the the most prevalent places. Um, And then here every other Tuesday night with the greatest host on the airwaves, Chris Mascaro, who gives all of us, um, so many of us who do what I do. Um, the opportunity to have a platform to uh, to 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 just jabber with our nonsense like we did tonight, <laughs> um, and anybody crazy enough to tune in to listen to me eighty eight times has got to have nothing better to do in their life. But you have some really quality people, and and all those quality people that I know that are on this show um, think the world of you as I do.
3: Well, I appreciate that very much. TP, my friend, you're the best. All the best to you and the family. And uh, I'm already looking forward to two weeks from tonight.
1: 89, number 89. Exactly. Can't those wait. Poor, those poor listeners. I feel so bad for them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you're great PR. Can I tell you that? You're great PR.
1: Yeah, unbelievable. unbelievable. <laughs> See Thanks,
3: you, Tom. TP. Take care, my you friend. Care. That is the great Tom Patrick, folks. Again, at Tom Golf on Instagram. TomPatrick.com is the website. And be sure to subscribe to that YouTube channel. Get those free playing lessons for yourself. And as I always say, they don't come better than that guy. So lucky that I've had him as part of the show, as he has said multiple times, 88 times, and looking forward to number 89. And that will be two weeks from tonight. Coming up next is another one of my all-time favorite people on the planet, and that is Pittsburgh's own Paul Alexander. You can hear Paul on 93.7, the fan up in Pittsburgh. Before I bring him in, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say.
1: An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get, and the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a
4: groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58.
3: There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full-face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arcos and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arcos Caddy when you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its Green Golf Collection. Sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV fifty plus protection. From solids to bold eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to construct.com and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T.com. And use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. Okay, now joining me is a guy who is a guest Hall of Famer over on our football show, Thursday Night Tailgate, but he is also huge into the Western Pennsylvania golf scene, and that is Paul Alexander. You can hear Paul sharing his insights on 93.7 The Fan up in Pittsburgh, and nobody knows Pittsburgh sports as well as Paul does. He is, quite frankly, one of the great guys you get to meet in this life. He has meant so much to me, not only as a guest, but as a mentor and a friend, I admire his style with which he conducts and prepares not only for his radio show, but also for pirates and penguins pre and post game shows. And I couldn't be more thrilled that I finally get to have him with me tonight here on the golf side on next on the tee. Hey Paul, how are you, my friend?
0: Chris, i I'm doing fantastic. How are you?
3: I'm good. How was Thanksgiving?
0: Uh, you know, perfect. Ate too much. Uh, got to be around family and friends and, uh, Got to do a little high school football on Friday. We did uh, some championship football games and uh just had an absolute wonderful weekend. How about yourself?
3: Yeah, no, really good. My parents always do a great job, and I got to spend time with my family. So it, w- it was wonderful. I thank you for that. So, Paul, before we get into the golf stuff, got to get your thoughts on our Steelers and our Penguins. Steelers finally fired Matt Canada. Last week, and everybody celebrated, and not so coincidentally, I don't think, last Sunday, the Steeler streak of 58 games without gaining 400 total yards came to an end. Didn't translate the points on the scoreboard, not quite yet, but they won, and the offense looked a heck of a lot better. So can we say that the problem truly was Matt Canada's inability to play call?
0: I I don't think it's ever one thing. Uh, The ultimate team sport, Um, obviously, my goodness, it was a much easier watch. The offense and Kenny Pickett in particular, looked so much more comfortable, so much uh, more explosive. but keep in mind that Bengals defense the last two games prior to the Steeler game, given up well over nine hundred yards uh well over thirty five points per game in each of the last two so uh, they they picked the right team to celebrate the you know the absence of Matt Canada um. Kenny still had some moments that uh, were a little bit, you know, disconcerting. Um, I I feel bad, actually. You know, I I don't think Matt Canada is the antichrist or any kind of (laughs) awful. You know, the worst coach that ever coached in football. Kenny missed a whole lot of open guys, uh, you know, throughout the weeks that they really underperformed. That Cleveland game, I guess, uh, Art II, you know, probably just saw enough and said, you know, no moss, no moss. I mean, we can't, we can't do this anymore. Um, there, There's still a work in progress. Uh, the running game the last three weeks has been the most consistent part of the offense, uh, the middle of the field. And with a healthy, you know, Pat Fryer move, that's a different offense. When you can actually utilize the team, utilize the middle of the field with a, a competent pass catcher and a very tough matchup and that kind of tight end, you know, that also was a big plus to have. So, um, I know everyone's going to oversimplify and say it's simply a dish by subtraction. You got rid of Matt Canada. All problems are solved. It, it's never that simple. But Kenny looked like a like a different player. It looked like maybe shackles had been taken off of his wrists and his legs and his ankles. and um, <laughs> it, was, it was a much easier watch. Uh, I think there was some confidence flowing from the quarterback position that we hadn't seen. Uh, and just all in all, it was just a much better look.
3: Yeah. I mean, to your point, the, the thing that really stuck out was we, we discovered how to throw the ball in between the hash marks. I mean, I get right. Pat Friermuth was healthy, but I mean, we, we've had tight ends. We've had guys going over the middle and we've always, you know, Kenny always wants to throw the ball to the sidelines and all of a sudden figured out that he can throw it between the hash marks. And the next thing you know, they're moving the football. I don't understand it. I don't know if that was Matt Canada and he was shying away from wanting Kenny to throw it over the middle why he didn't if that was truly just because Friar wasn't there and he didn't feel like he could throw to anybody else over the middle but we never even saw a tight end or I mean a a wide receiver or a slot guy do a drag route an in route anything no, and all of a sudden now we do
0: yeah and and now you know obviously I don't know what to expect from from Arizona they're not a very good football team but at the same time, when you see a team for, you know, how many consecutive weeks, not use the middle of the field, uh, you prepare accordingly defensively. Uh, so now, I mean, Pat Friermuth is not going to be unguarded. He's going to be bracketed. He's going to be chipped at the line of scrimmage. He's going to be dealt with because he was by far uh, the biggest part of that offense, you know, in, in concert with the running game. But uh, they're going to adjust. You know, you, you punch somebody in the mouth, they're going to, They're going to punch back. So, you know, make sure that you understand that, you know, Pat Friermuth is not going to be unguarded going forward. He's going to be a big part (laughs) of defensive game plans. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Steelers adjust. And I think the weapons that they do have, uh, if Deontay gets his head straight and, you know, he doesn't take plays off or drop touchdowns and things of that nature, then, yeah, Um, if Kenny makes progressions, you know, throws the ball on time and accurately uh, with the running game that they show that they do have. And Najee had a great game on Sunday. um, I, I think they can actually, you know, put points on the board. I really do.
3: If the offense continues to move the ball the way it did on Sunday, plus they put up another couple of touchdowns each week. You put that in combination with Mike Tomlin's history of not hiring coaches from outside the organization. Do you think Eddie Faulkner and Mike Sullivan could hold on to their current roles for next season? Or do you think Art Rooney the second is going to insist that Tomlin hire somebody like a Byron Leftwich or somebody else from outside the organization?
0: I think it would be a much healthier. uh, I don't want to take anything away, you know, from that tandem and what they did on Sunday. But at the same time, um, it's really been kind of stale. I mean, you look at the playoff, you know, Drought that the Steelers have had, and you know, who's gonna hire away any of their current coaches? <laughs> um, that that to me says that you're not doing things right. I mean, when you have great success, um, they want your players and they want your coaches. And right now, no one has been clamoring for either, really. I mean, they just haven't been. So um I think that Mike Tomlin, uh, I'm not sure if he's a bit of a control freak or um, I don't think his ego uh, lacks for anything, but I would I would like to see Art II step in and say, I want a dynamic offensive coordinator on staff next year. I hope that's the route that they go.
3: Paul, let's quickly move over to hockey. The Penguins have gotten off to a sluggish start. They're 10-10 and 10 so far. Sid is showing that he's still one of the top players in the game, but he's the only Penguin with double-digit goals so far. Malkin and Russ both have nine. Do you think they can get things going and go on a run and be a playoff team or do they lack the offensive firepower without making some sort of major trade
0: to really be a threat to make the playoffs? The only thing that concerns me is the fact that they're the oldest team in the NHL and I love the fact that they wanted to give Sid Gino and Chris Letang one more chance. 18 years together the longest of any North American professional sport um, for guys being together so I, I, I applaud them for that and and the, additional, the addition of, uh, you know, the, the wonder kid back there uh, on the defensive side, uh, that was a nice addition. And I think that really, I think, gave everybody a little bit of hope. But you know what? Mother, you know, Father Time is undefeated. And they're an older team, the oldest team in the NHL. Um, Tristan Jari uh, leads the NHL right now in shutouts, although he also leads the NHL in inconsistency, I believe, as well. Um I I think they can certainly be a playoff team. Uh whether or not they can make a deep run, I'm still going to have to take a wait and see on that. I I want to see some secondary scoring. Uh that power play has been abysmal, which when you think about, you know, Erickson and the the additions that you have there, you know, I mean, they they have the firepower. They just they try to be too pretty, too cute, too exact. They what they need is like a like a a quest in front of the net to just get those dirty goals on the power play. Um, they need Phil Esposito for heaven's sake. Someone, <laughs> someone with <laughs> the net presence, you know, that will get the dirty goals that you need. You know, certainly on the power play and just even five on five. You need someone that's going to go to the to the blue paint in front of the net and and knock the puck in the net and stand there and take abuse. And they haven't had that guy in a long time. They're just they're. When they won their consecutive cups in, in 15 and 16, uh, they were the fastest team in the NHL. You can't hit what you can't catch. Uh, the NHL caught up speed wise. And what, this, what the Penguins have never been is physical. So if you're not fast and you're not physical, well, who are you? I, I, I don't know who they're, I don't know their identity. And I, I've been struggling with that over the last five years. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you? And who are you trying to be? you're not the 15 and 16 Penguins that were the fastest team in the NHL. They're just not. And if you're not going to put physical players out there and you're not overly, overly fast, you're going to struggle in the postseason. They swallow the whistles. It gets very physical. And if you don't have the speed or the physicality, you're not a good playoff team. And that's exactly what they haven't been the last five years. They have not been a good playoff team. They didn't make the playoffs last year. Right. You know, August streak and, professional sports ended at 16 consecutive playoff appearances. So they, they need to to me that the true sign of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. And that's what they've done for the last five years. Paul, let's
3: switch gears over to golf. And I know you recently emceed the Western Pennsylvania golf hall of fame ceremonies. Talk about getting to be a part of that event.
0: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, they, they put, uh, Annika's husband in, who's just an incredible, incredible guy. And, um, they, it was just fantastic. And, um, you know, golf is just such to me the, and, and you, you love the sport just as much. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. This is a golf, you know, <laughs> this is a golf show, but, um, being around, um, this area. And I don't, I know we don't have the weather that would actually, you know, suit um golf like you would think, but uh we have some of the greatest, you know, courses around, the greatest clubs around. Uh we we have Arnold Palmer, uh I heard your your last guest talking about the great Bob Ford, who I've I've known and loved for many, many years. We we, we have Oakmont. Um we, we we just have such a rich tradition. And and Mr. Palmer deserves so much of the credit. Um, you know, he brought golf to the people. And and that happened in a time when uh, you know, golf in, in general was very aristocratic, it was very exclusive, uh, it was not inclusive at all. And and Arnie brought golf to the people. And Arnie's army is still uh, I think, revered for that. And obviously, when you have a uh a track like Oakmont, which uh, the CEO of the USGA said, you know, if we ever had a situation where our our course was rendered unplayable for U.S. Open, we could go play Oakmont, you know, without the stands and without the TV set up, you know, any time of the year, any day of the week. Um, I remember the preparation for the uh, the 05 Open. Um, I got to play two weeks prior uh, with Bob Ford. And uh you know that's when they said Oakmont's the only course where they cut the rough and slow the greens down for the actual championship <laughs> because they had it run it at fourteen on the stem, and the rough was about fourteen inches, and they had to cut it down to about five inches and get the greens down to about a twelve because the undulation that they have at oakmont uh it would just almost be virtually un- unplayable um but it's just you know golf in this area uh it's wonderful and we we have such great great players that come from here and i just think we have a great love for the game here in the western pennsylvania area
3: paul you mentioned mike mcgee annika's husband and mike is a a wonderful follower and love to have him as part of the show i'm going to try to do that a, a little bit later on maybe at the early part of next year but he was there representing jerry mcgee who is a member of the 2023 hall of fame class he wasn't from Pennsylvania but grew up a Pittsburgh sports fan. He won four times out on the PJ Tour, including across the state at the 1977 Philadelphia Golf Classic, as well as the 1979 Kemper Open, the 79 Sammy Davis Jr. Greater Hartford Open and the 75 Pensacola Open. He also played on a victorious 1977 Ryder Cup team here for the US. Heck of a player. Passed away unfortunately a couple of years ago, but he's a guy I think everyone listening is familiar with, but maybe not know enough about with Mike being there, what did you
0: learn about Jerry? Well, you learned that, uh, you know, this guy, you know, didn't have the upbringing that, that a lot of, you know, great golfers had. I mean, uh, you know, he was from a, a broken home and, you know, his, his mom, uh, remarried and, and, and married a golf pro, uh, over in Ohio. And, uh, you know, the stepfather was a, a wonderful teacher of the game and and really encouraged Jerry to to work hard and get after it. And the thing about Jerry, yeah, you talk about the four wins and, you know, he wasn't, you know, a, a prolific, you know, star. You know, he's not going to be in the uh, the PGA Hall of Fame, but um, he got the most out of what God gave him. And to me, that's all you could ever ask for. Uh you know, with three kids of my own, all I've ever asked them to do is to be nice and do your best. And it that sounds overly simplified, but if you do the best that you can and whatever your passion is, whatever, whatever venture you choose, whatever you really want to do with your life, if you do your absolute best with maximum effort and and passion, and you're nice to everybody along the way, great things can happen. And to me, I think that that Mike kind of captured that 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 his dad uh, worked so hard that he became as good a player as he could be. And if you can play on the PGA Tour, if you can win on the PGA Tour, you are among the top, you know, point zero 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 one percent of greatness. And this game has humbled everybody. Uh, there was a two-year period where Tiger couldn't hit a chip <laughs> because he had the yips with the, all the wedges in his hands. And I mean, that's a frightening thought. In fact, I even hate the fact that I even said that I won't even say the S <laughs> I won't use it. I, I occasionally hit the ball laterally, but I don't use the S word because I had a period <laughs> where I was hitting the S's and uh, you know, you can't, you can't undo it for a period of time. You know, we've seen, we've seen baseball players and, you know, Steve blast who's a gentleman that, you know, was a, an unbelievable Pittsburgh pirate. Uh, and one of these, Chris, you'll love this one. Uh, I played in a charity event, you know, that Steve was playing in as well. He had two hole-in-ones in in the same event, two different Oh, my. I mean, who does that? Steve Blaston. But, you know, he unfortunately couldn't throw strikes after he was probably the, you know, he should have been the MVP in the 71 World Series when they beat Baltimore. He had two complete game wins, including game seven. Uh, They gave it to Roberto Clemente, and and who can really argue with that? But um, all of a sudden, he couldn't throw a strike. You know, we we've seen other baseball players that all of a sudden, you know, just just couldn't throw the ball where they wanted to. I mean, it's it's a bizarre mental you know block that you can't get through. And um Clint Hurdle, who I really uh, have grown to love, and, and you know what he did for for Pirates uh, baseball fans here, you know, after a 20 year stress without even having a winning season, you know, to get the Pirates to three straight playoffs. Uh, one thing that he would always say about baseball was there are those are hu- those that are humble and those that are about to be and i think it's even more true in golf
3: yeah that's a
0: great thing that no matter how how proficient you become how hot you get you know how many consecutive cuts you make or how many tournaments you win in a row at some point the golf gods say you know that's enough for you now we're gonna we're going to bring you back to, to earth for a little bit. You're going to have to work your way through something because, you know, you've played the game enough. If you're if you're hitting the tee ball well, you can't make a putt. If you're making everything, you can't hit a fair way. If you're hitting the irons well, the tee ball's all over the place. I mean, it's just, it, it's a crazy, crazy game. And the thing I love about it is when I play, and I I, I was pretty decent for a while when I played a good bit. But. I never really thought about who I was playing against or who the field was. It was always me against the golf course. It's always me against me. I just want to play the best I can. And if I do that, I am so unbelievably happy that whatever happens with you know, everyone else, that's just what happens with everyone else. You know, I mean, match play is different to a degree, but I just, I just love the game so much. I mean, I, I could go hit balls for hours. I mean, that's just one of my absolute happy places where I, I love the golf swing. Uh, it's not a moving target. <laughs> you know, I've seen guys five, a 140 pounds, hit it over 300 yards. I mean, you just, it's a crazy game. But if you have the mental acuity, if you have some persistence and patience, um, you know, a guy like Corey Pavin can win a U.S. Open. He can't hit it more than 270 probably. Uh, at least he couldn't in his prime. Uh, there's guys that bomb at 340 that can't, that can't win a major. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a crazy, wonderful, amazing game. Paul, I saw a
3: recent picture of you, and it looks like you're playing golf with Steve Jones and Jack Ham. Are you guys in an event together?
0: Well, Steve and Jack um, come into uh, Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh, Western Pennsylvania, has more Penn State alum uh, than Pitt alum because there's so many of us Penn staters and they do a, uh, a luncheon every year for the the Western Pennsylvania, Penn state fans. And we all get together and Steve and Jack who, you know, do all the games on the radio for Penn state. Tell us about the upcoming season and the team we do this about mid August, right before the season's ready to start. Uh, and we have a dear friend, Ron Moeller, who's a member at a uh, country club. So we, uh, we have the luncheon and then we go out and play a little bit of golf. And, uh, it's just one of the days I really look forward to because uh, being around those guys. Steve uh, actually gave me my first job in in radio in State College, and uh, he's one of my dear friends. And and Jack Cam is just Jack Cam. I mean, he's probably the uh, in terms of of a technician as a linebacker, uh, probably the best that ever played the game. Never missed a tackle, never out of position. Um, that's why he's in the Hall of Fame and has four Super Bowl rings. He was uh, the best of the best. So. Yeah, we, we get to do that every year and, and I used to have some fun matches with uh with Jack and his buddy Ron. Uh my dear friend Tom Bradley and, and Jack went to the same high schools in Johnstown. Uh I'm sure you're familiar with the Sunny Hannah Amateur. Uh, yep. right in their neighborhood where they grew up, Sunny Hannah Country Club, which is another one of the great uh Western Pennsylvania venues that it's it's kind of a mini Oakmont. Uh just a fantastic golf course. So yeah, that's uh that's an event I look forward to every year.
3: Paul, well, I had Chris Sheehan on the show a few weeks ago. Chris is the head golf professional at Pittsburgh Field Club. I know you've played out at PFC. Tell us about your impressions of that golf course.
0: It is one of the best walks uh, you'll ever have. Um, it's just so scenic. And and the beauty of it is you just see uh, the golf course in trees. You don't, You don't see... You don't see roads. You don't see a lot of houses. I mean, there there are some gorgeous homes along some, some of the course. But uh, it's just a fantastic golf course. And a, a buddy of mine, um, you know, we, we consider certain things majors. And, and a friend had invited me to their member guest. They have a fall member guest. Uh, and, you know, every nine holes is a different uh, format. Uh, you do some alternate shot and some best ball and things like that. It's just a blast. Uh, and we were lucky enough to win it, uh I think, probably four or five years ago. And uh that's one of my highlights. You know, they have some great players over there. Uh It is a fantastic, and it's right, you know, it's right next to Fox Chapel Country Club as well, which they have had some Curtis Cup events there. Um They've had some senior event. Well, I, I don't even know what to call it anymore. They change the name every year, don't they? The the, the, the older golfers that used to be on the PGA Tour, whatever it was called, they, they've come to fox chapel a couple of times and played and uh those guys all rave about fox chapel as well fox chapel and the field club uh just two of the many absolute gems that we have here in western pennsylvania
3: so outside of those two what are some of the other area golf courses that you enjoy playing
0: well you know Nemacolin, uh the late great joe hardy who actually passed away uh on his 100th birthday which is crazy but uh uh, Nemecolon has, uh, two fantastic golf courses down there. They used to have the 84 Lumber Classic there. Um, and I got to be, uh, pretty tight with, with John Daly, who became endorsed by 84 Lumber and VJ Singh, who also, uh, was endorsed by VJ, uh, by, by, uh, Joe Hardy. And, uh, Mystic Rock is a, is a great track. You know, Pete Dye, um, he was blown away. I remember, uh, when I, when I went there, Uh, for the opening of Mystic Rock, and that had to be uh, probably in the mid-90s. And uh, I was a little late. I was still working in State College, which has probably got two and a half hours uh, for Mystic Rock. So I was running a little bit late, and I get there, and there's a gentleman and a pair of khakis and a a ball cap, and they had a a shuttle because they didn't have the uh, clubhouse completely finished yet. So they were going to shuttle us from where they had the little introduction and then take us over to the golf course to play. So this gentleman said, Hey, would you mind giving me a ride over to the course? I'm like, Absolutely not. Reaches out his hand and says, Hi, I'm Pete Dye. And I went, like, You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. I said, What was the experience like? He goes, Well, you know, I've I've designed golf courses all over the world, uh, but uh I never had anyone say, Make me the best damn golf course you can. There is no budget. Wow. So as you can imagine. Uh, Pete enjoyed that, uh, and that opportunity to not have a budget. And it, it, it's, you know, it's as you would expect. I mean, it's a five star resort with all the amenities and, and the course. Uh, uh, that's another event, uh, that we actually, um, uh, a, a dear friend of mine, Bob Pompey, and I were paired together with Roy Sabatini, who was an absolute character back in the day. And, uh, we actually won the, uh, the pro am on the Wednesday before the uh, first 84 Lumber Classic. So, uh, Uh, A lot of good memories down there. Also, I mean, Laurel Valley, which was Arnold's uh, absolute, you know, treasure. You know, I mean, he grew up, obviously, on the Trove Country Club with his dad. But uh, Laurel is something that he just, uh, his heart and soul. Uh, I remember when they had the senior PGA there. uh, One of my favorite moments. I got to play in a a little scramble with Arnie and Hale Irwin. Uh, I was originally supposed to caddy for Arnie. but uh, someone got called away and all of a sudden I was pressed into playing. So I went from being Arnie's caddy to Hale Irwin's teammate. And Arnie <laughs> was like calling me Benedict Arnold. And then uh, 18 at Laurel is one of the absolute great finishing holes in the world, uh, a par five, a big dog leg right with a, a big lake in front of the green. And uh, we had to lay up and we had about 120 and I, I hit a, a pretty good pitching wedge to about four feet. And Hale uh, goes well. Why don't you go ahead and stick it to him? <laughs> so I, I, mean, I had to make the birdie putt to win, and Arnie was acting like he was he was not going to talk to me. But, uh, you know, Hale Hal had a reputation as being kind of a, you know, a tough guy to, to deal with. And I said, well, um, are you an Arnie guy or a Jack guy? He goes, they both love me. I go, how did you make that, I go, how did you make that happen? He goes, well, I'm with Arnie. I badmouth Jack. When I'm with Jack, I badmouth Arnie. They both love me. <laughs> Oh, he was an absolute character. He, he was, he was more fun than I could ever imagine because, uh, you know, he was a football player at Colorado. Uh, and then he goes out and wins two S U.S. Opens and has a, an amazing senior career as well. I mean, Hal Irwin was one heck of an athlete, you know, to be a D one football player that goes on to the, the success he had as a professional golfer is just unprecedented. I, I can't think of anyone else, you know, that's had that kind of success, you know, on the golf tour that was actually a really accomplished athlete in another sport like that.
3: Paul, I could go on talking to you all oh, night. It's
0: so much fun, Chris. I, I could talk about golf all day, all day.
3: Well, we got to do this again, and we got to do do it again soon. I, I hope I can impose on you over Anytime. the next month or two.
0: Any time, Chris. You know, it's a great pleasure.
3: Paul, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with the great things that you're doing, whether it's following you online, listening to your shows, or following you on social media?
0: Well, we have the odyssey app uh that's where we have uh all of our shows on 93.7 the fan and kdk am uh i'm on x i get do we call it x now i, I don't know i, mean, it, I don't know what, but it's p alexander 44 uh that is my handle on x or twitter uh that's the the same as instagram and on facebook as well so uh um i'm not i'm not as active as i probably should be on social media but uh i'll throw stuff out there occasionally and uh, I follow a lot of folks. I, I love to read and keep up with everybody. I love to keep up with you and your shows. But uh, I I can't wait. And get, we just hit some Today, it's like the high is like 22 today. So uh, uh, sadly, I think golf is over for the year for us up here for now. So that's always a sad day. But uh, uh, I can't wait for spring now to get out there and start hitting balls again because uh, golf is, is my is my happy place. It just truly is.
3: Paul, it's always a thrill and a privilege to get to spend some time with you. I appreciate you and your support so very much. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you, Shelly, and your family. I hope, uh, like I say, I hope we can do this again real soon.
0: Chris, God bless you and your family anytime. I'm always here for you, my friend. God bless you. Take care, Paul. All the
3: best. We'll catch up soon. All right, Chris. Take care. See you, Paul. That is the great Paul Alexander, folks. Can you see why he's one of my favorite people on the planet? I know we have just scratched the surface of all of his great golf stories. Be sure to give him a follow on Instagram and Twitter at PAlexander44. Tune into his shows on 93.7, the fan there up in Pittsburgh. And like I say, a finer individual you will not meet. Such a privilege to get to spend time with him and talk about any sport. And now getting to have him on this show and talking golf is just outstanding. I love that I get to have him on the football side, but now on the golf side as well, and hopefully I get to circle back with him very early on in January as we talk more golf, and then maybe the Penguins and Steelers are making a run. So Paul Alexander, just a gem of an individual. Coming up next is going to be Gary D'Amato. Gary is an officer with the Golf Riders Association of America and a Wisconsin Golf Hall of Famer. Before I get to Gary, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarran, and Chris Marco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the t box to the boardroom to the bedroom use code NXTONTEE20 so next on t20 to save 20% at checkout so go to 2under.com that's a number 2 u n d r.com 2under performance in your pants
4: relax easy now find your happy place it's all in the hips
1: Just tap it in. Yes!
3: Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Now making his next on the tee debut with me is Gary D'Amato. Gary is an officer with the Golf Writers Association of America. He's also a senior writer for Killarney Golf Media and Wisconsin.Golf. Started out covering golf for the Racine Journal Times from 1980 to 1990. From there, he went on to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel until 2018 when he joined Killarney Golf Media. He has covered 75 major tournaments and every master since 1993. In 2017, he was inducted into the Wisconsin Golf Hall of Fame. He's won the Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year Award three times. He has written several books, two on golf, one titled The Proof is in the Putting with Jerry Cordy, And Aaron Hills, host of the 2017 U.S. Open, published by Classics of Golf. You can find them both out on Amazon.com. And I am honored I get to have Gary with me this week on Next on the T. Hey, Gary, thanks for coming on the show.
4: Hey, Chris, it's my pleasure. Where'd you dig up that bio?
3: (laughs) I put it (laughs) together, bits and pieces here and there.
4: Okay. It's good to be on.
3: Gary... You had an amazing history so far in our game. I want to kind of go back to the beginning, though. How'd you first get the golf bug and who lit the fire in you?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I was I was a kid, a teen, and uh, I wasn't I tried team sports, wasn't very good at team sports. And some of my buddies were golfers and they dragged me out to the golf course when I was 15 years old. And um, I found my passion. I mean, I loved it from the very first round I played. Um, and, you know, continue to, uh, to develop my love and passion for the game. And then, you know, when I became a sports writer, um, I, I, I got to, you know, cover events all over the world. I covered 11 Olympic games and Super Bowls and Mike Tyson heavyweight fights. But, but golf was a thing that, um, it was my passion. I loved covering the game. And, and so I'm so, you know, fortunate to have had the career I've had and to be able to cover the game that I love.
3: So you had the golf passion. When did the writing piece become part of all of it?
4: Yeah, you know, uh, I had a part-time job in high school, believe it or not, writing, covering high school football games and getting paid a quarter for a column inch. So, you know, you write a ten-inch um, football story uh, and you get paid $2.50. So it wasn't the money that got me, and that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that stoked a passion in me. Um, and I, when I went to college, I went to a state, University in Wisconsin, UW Whitewater, and uh, the first day on campus, I I knew what I wanted to do. I knew my major. I knew I what I wanted to be. Uh, unlike a lot of kids, you know, who don't you know discover uh, maybe until their fifth year in college what they're there for. So uh, I made double majored in journalism and English, and just knew I wanted to be a sports writer. And if I had the chance to cover golf at some point, all the better.
3: And Gary, speaking of your early days, another one of your books is titled A Perfect Childhood Growing Up in the 1960s <laughs> with Baseball the Beatles and Beaver Cleaver it sounds like it's probably autobiographical talk about growing up in the 60s
4: Yeah, you know i, I wrote my when my dad was um, aging and 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 getting getting near death um a few years ago i i started writing some um some chapters uh, or some stories um little vignettes about my childhood and when my dad um, died i i thought, you know, I I really want to turn this into a book, mostly for my kids. Um, and, you know, my son read parts of it. He's a high school teacher, and uh, he read parts of it and said, Dad, this is really funny and it's good, but but who cares? You know, really, I don't mean to be put you down, but who cares about you when growing up in the 60s? And my point was everyone who grew up in the 60s had shared experiences and very similar memories, and um, we all did the same things maybe in different parts of the country, but I thought it might resonate with... Uh, you know, people my age with baby boomers and people who grew up in the '60s, and it's it's done pretty well on Amazon. It's only a hundred page one hundred page book, but um, but it was fun to do, and I've gotten a really good uh, response to it.
3: All right, so Gary, I'm a guy who always dreamed of being an astronaut when I was a kid. Tell me about <laughs> taking a ride in your homemade rocket.
4: <laughs> well, um, actually, you know, we built. All these model rockets from Estes Industries, that was a big hobby of ours. Uh, we had a, a kid in the neighborhood who his IQ was probably 220. It was off the charts. His name was Peter Markwitz and he teaches film animation at UCLA right uh, today. Really smart kid. And he got it. He got all of us in the neighborhood into model rocketry. And, um, so we would, you know, launch these model rockets and put payloads, you know, we'd launch frogs and fish and, you know, they come back to earth and, surprised that, uh, that they lived through the ordeal. And, um, so that was just a fun hobby for several years that, uh, you know, that we did. And I think a lot of people, um, in the sixties can relate to that.
3: I'm a character in Keith Hirschland's book, song girl. I play a motorcycle gang leader. You had a <laughs> death defying scooter ride with your own motorcycle gang. Tell us that story.
4: Yeah, we, uh, no. i I got a motorcycle bug when i was about 15 years old i just wanted a motorcycle so badly i thought it would make me the cool kid you know and uh my dad against my mom's huge objections got me a little honda rabbit 90 one of those step-through scooters um back in the day and uh you know me and my buddies kind of terrorized the neighborhood and one day we went for a ride along the railroad tracks and um we were on the tracks or uh, right next to the tracks and there was a huge embankment going down that we couldn't, I mean, you had a ride right next to the railroad tracks and we stopped and we we're throwing stones in the water and goofing around. And all of a sudden my buddy looks up and says, a train, a train's coming. And it was like that scene in uh stand by me. If you've seen that, that movie with the kids yes. right on the railroad tracks, and then they jump off just at the very end and the train misses them. That was us, except we were on motorcycles uh trying to get back to a place where we could get off the, the track bed and we finally did. But, um, I could have bit the dust that day. That's for sure.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You've written a couple of books about the Packers and the Bears and Packers rivalry, former Packers kicker, Chester Markle helped you with one of them. Talk about getting to put a book together with Chester.
4: That was a really great experience. I had, um, when I worked for the journal Sentinel, I was a a columnist and a feature writer in uh, the Milwaukee newspaper. And, uh, Years after Chester retired, I, I remember that he had had some problems with with drug addiction. And um I, I approached my editors and said, you know, I'd like to find Chester and, and write a piece about him for the paper. And sure enough, he was uh, he was way up living way up at the top of the uh, uh, upper peninsula in Michigan, as far north as you can go before you tip dip a toe in the Lake Superior. And so he agreed to let me interview him. And I, I drove up there. This was about um, maybe 2003 or four, somewhere around there. And he just told this harrowing story about how he was a really, you know, he was a a Polish uh, immigrant, spoke no English when he came to America at at age 16. And six years later, he's NFL Rookie of the Year. He had never seen a football until he got to high school in America. And um, so it's just an amazing story about this immigrant who, you know, became a great kicker, but then um, ruined his life basically because of drug and alcohol addictions. And uh, there was a suicide attempt, which which he obviously survived, but he drank uh, a combination of battery acid and rat poison
1: mm. and
4: tore out his insides. Um, and uh, he told me all these stories. And I said, you know, Chester, you, this this could be a great book. And he said, you know, I'm just not ready to write a book yet. i just, his stuff is too fresh and it's too painful. And I, I learned later that he was still occasionally relapsing at that time but um about seven or eight years later out of the blue he called me and said you know if you're still interested I'm I'm ready to do that book because he had been sober for for a number of years and he was in fact uh, and is still a drug and alcohol counselor in Green Bay so we got together and he just spilled his guts about um about his life and about the hard times he went through uh, and uh I'm happy to say that that he's a friend he survived it all and he uh, he's doing well now but um but obviously he did a uh, burned a lot of bridges and hurt a lot of people with his uh, drug use and alcohol use. But, um, but he's doing well now and he had an amazing career as a kicker. It was short, but it was pretty impressive.
3: Gary, you wrote a seven part series for the Milwaukee Journal about Aaron Hills and Aaron Hills doesn't have a big name course designer, really just three guys that most folks never heard of. But talk about. How it got to host the 2008 U.S. Women's Amateur Public Links Tournament, the 2011 U.S. Amateur Championship, and obviously, ultimately, the 2017 U.S. Open.
4: You know, it's, it's one of the craziest stories, really, in recent golf history about this, this guy named Bob Lang, who owned a uh, a um, reading card company, like, you know, similar to what uh, the Kaisers, uh, Mike Kaiser uh, did and had. And um, <clears throat> he um, he wasn't he was going to build a little nine hole course for his employees really a non-golfer he had caddied as a youth but he didn't play golf and he stumbled upon this wondrous wondrous piece of ground in uh, about 35 miles northwest of milwaukee in the kettle moraine that the glaciers had you know plowed through and created all these amazing dunes and, and valleys and ridges and um he happened to attend the 2000 u.s open he had, he had an option to buy the land at that point and uh, it was at pebble beach and he he, he said. Other than the ocean, he said, My my piece of ground is better than this. I can build a better course than Pebble Beach, obviously, except for the ocean and the history and everything. But but he thought his ground um was really good. And as it turns out, he was right. And uh so he built a golf course, but he uh it became such an obsession that he he wound up um borrowing money, borrowing money, borrowing more money, bought it, buying more land. He wound up buying six hundred and fifty acres and he didn't need all that land. He bought houses that were in view of the course and had them moved or torn down. I mean, he just went way overboard to build this magnificent golf course and wound up having to sell because he otherwise he was going to go bankrupt. And uh, the next the guy who bought the course, Andy Ziegler, shepherded it along the way. And USGA loved it from the very beginning, gave it the U.S. Uh, women's public links before the course even opened. And then they uh, hosted the USAM in 2011, and which led to the U.S. Open in 17, and and now it's you know one of the top public tracks in America.
3: Whistling Straits is another great course there, obviously in Wisconsin, hosted the Ryder Cup a couple of years back. I thought it was a huge mistake for the PGA of America to pick a links-style golf course to be a a home Ryder Cup event. And fortunately, I couldn't have been more wrong about that. But what was it like for you being out there and covering? the Ryder Cup in 21.
4: It was one of the highlights of my career. I mean, i covered I think five Ryder Cups prior to that and uh but this one was on home soil and of course with Home State hero Steve Stricker being the US captain and huge enthusiastic galleries which the Ryder Cup always gets now but I mean it was just you know pretty good weather in late September right on the shores of Lake Michigan. The course looked spectacular I thought, especially on TV it just looked wondrous. And um and it, everything fell in place, obviously, for the American team, for the U S, uh, to win 19 to nine, set a record for, uh, for the biggest margin in Ryder Cup history. And it was, um, it was a, a lot of fun that week. Let me tell you, I had a had a great time. It didn't feel like work at all. It just felt like I was, uh, taking in, um, really historic spectacle.
0: area
3: Augusta National is my favorite place on the planet.
4: You've mm-hmm. covered
3: every master since 1993. What are some of your favorite moments from being there at Augusta National?
4: You know, I have a few that stand out. Um, Tiger Woods, the first time uh, he played in the Masters when he was still an amateur, I had finished my work on, uh, on Tuesday night, finished writing my stories, and I walked up the hill from, from the old media center, which used to be right along the first fairway. I walked up toward the clubhouse. Sun was setting. Nobody on the course. You know, the spectators were all gone. No, you know, play was done for the day. Practice rounds were done. So I was all alone standing near the practice uh, green, just looking out over the first and ninth and 18th holes. And um, all of a sudden I felt a presence next to me and I turned and looked and 10 feet away there's Tiger Woods in in a suit. He had just come out of the the, uh, amateur dinner for amateurs. And we just kind of nodded each other. We just stood there looking out over the course. I'm thinking and this is a beautiful place and I'm, I'm sure Tiger's thinking, I wonder how many masters I'm going to win before I'm done. Um, uh, that was one of my favorite memories. The other one was, uh, everyone knows that Jack Nicholas won the masters in 1986 at age 46, but few people remember that in 1998, when he was 58, he, he was in contention, um, until the final few holes, actually. And I, I decided to follow Jack uh, in that final round and, <clears throat> I think he came to the third hole. He was one or two shots off the lead on Sunday. And at the Masters, it's the only tournament that uh, media does not have under the ropes access. We have to stand behind the ropes, just like the spectators. So I, I walked ahead and got a position right on the rope, right next to the third green. I was probably 12 feet from the putting surface. And Jack missed the green short and right. And he gets over his chip. And now he's standing, you know, six, eight feet from me. And he chips in. And uh, he turns and looks into the crowd, but he was looking right at me. He wasn't looking at me. He was looking into the crowd, but it felt like he was staring at me. And he just shrugged his shoulders like, what do you expect? I'm Jack Nicholas." You know, it was uh, (laughs) I I still get goosebumps thinking about that moment.
3: I'll tell you what, Gary, that you're right. Not a lot of people remember at age 58 on two bad hips that he would later get replaced, that he made a run at a seventh jacket. I thought that was one of my fa- I'm a huge Jack Nicklaus fan, and yeah. that is one of my favorite memories. It's uh, sort of very underrated for how great Jack was.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I, another moment, it wasn't a Masters moment, but we used to have a tournament in Milwaukee, the Greater Milwaukee Open. And uh, somehow they talked Jack into playing in it one year. Um, it might have been, eighty. I believe it was 85, the year before he won the Masters. And the only way he would play in it is if they gave his son, Jackie, an exemption. So they did sponsor's exemption so Jack played and he did his three-round news conference and you know there were 20 media people in the in the room in the tent talking to him asking questions and gradually it it winnowed down to just just me and it was me and Jack and uh, I thought you know surely he's going to get tired of questions and get up and walk out but he answered another 15 minutes worth of questions just from me just us two sitting there and just such a classy guy you know he did definitely didn't I was, I think, you know, twenty-five years old, a young reporter. Didn't have to do that, but um, I was all—I was grateful to him for that.
3: Gary, uh, just one more before I let you go, and you yeah. were the first writer inducted into the Wisconsin Golf Hall of Fame since the '60s when Jeez. you were elected in in 2017. What was it like for you being honored like that in your home state?
4: Well, it was obviously a huge honor, one that I honestly didn't feel I. I deserved. I remember um, having to give my speech. I I was presented by Gene Haas, who's now retired, but he was the executive director of the Wisconsin State Golf Association. And I look out at this room and there's really some of my heroes in the the state um, who had been inducted into the Hall of Fame or were going to be, you know, at some point, um, some of the best golfers the state has produced. And I didn't feel like I had done anything, honestly, deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. But but was so honored and still am to this day. I I still attend the induction dinners every year. And uh, when they ask the uh, the uh, active members in the Hall of Fame to stand up at the dinner, you know, I I stand and I look around and I think I I don't belong with these people. But um, but yeah, it was, a you know, a highlight of my career, I would say.
3: Gary, before I let you go, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing now and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media?
4: Well, I really appreciate uh, you giving me this opportunity, Chris. And, you know, uh, I write for a website called wisconsin.golf. Pretty easy. Just plug that in uh, as your URL, and it'll take you right to our website. And we have two full-time writers, and um, we we cover everything golf-related in Wisconsin. Courses, people, tournaments. Um, and then um, I'm on Twitter, or X, uh, at Gary D'Amato Golf.
3: Well, Gary, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. It's a it's been a real treat having you here. I feel like we've just scratched the surface of all the great things you've achieved over the course of your career. I hope we get the privilege of having you on the show again real soon.
4: Anytime, Chris. Thank you for for your support. I appreciate it.
3: Take care, Gary. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon.
4: Same to you. Thank you.
3: See you, Gary. That is Gary D'Amato. D apostrophe A M O T O is the spelling of his last name again, wisconsin.golf, Gary D'Amato at Gary D'Amato golf on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, you want to talk about a guy who is just so incredibly talented as a writer. I mean, he writes a lot of articles for wisconsin.golf, but then when you start to get into the books that he has written, I got the, uh, the book that we were talking about early on. The, the one about growing up in the sixties. Again, it is titled a perfect childhood, growing up in the 1960s with baseball, the Beatles and Beaver Cleaver. I can't wait to read it. Again, he says it's about a hundred pages, but from the, some of the things that I read that are in the book and some of the excerpts, hilarious. Great story. He talks about, you know, growing up in the 1960s. Now I was born in 65, so I don't recall growing up as the, the part of the sixties, but I know my parents who were married when they were 20 and 21. I mean, they, they were all a part of that sort of thing. So I cannot wait to read that book and share it with them because I'm sure, like Gary said, he, they're going to see themselves in Gary's story. So a, a wonderful guy, a great writer, and obviously a guy who, who deserved to be in the Wisconsin Hall of Fame. We we barely scratched the surface of all of, of Wisconsin golf. And that's what I want to get into with him next time, because Wisconsin is a very underrated state for great golf courses. So we'll do that next time. I'll get him back on the show again real soon. Coming up next is going to be Chris Knobloch. Chris is one of the best junior teachers that we have in our game. He is, in fact, a U.S. Kids Golf Top 50 Master Teacher. Really looking forward to having him as part of the show tonight. Before I bring him in, and folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speedbolt at squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z dot com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strantz designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit caledoniagolfandfishclub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's caledoniagolfandfishclub.com. Okay, now joining me is Chris Knobloch. Chris is the director of golf at Eagles Landing Country Club in Stockbridge, Georgia. He also teaches over at Summer Grove Golf Club in Noonan, Georgia, both just a little bit south of the city of Atlanta. He earned his B.A. in psychology at the University of West Georgia. Prior to joining Eagles Landing, he spent time as the head golf professional at Noonan Country Club, the Peachtree City Golf Academy, and as a junior golf specialist and leader at Junior Golf 365. He is a U.S. kids golf Top 50 Master Teacher, and a Golf Range Association of America Top 100 Growth of the Game Professional. In 2017, he won the Gene Siller Youth Player Development Award, and I am very honored. I get to have him with me this week here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Hey, Chris, it's an honor to talk with you. Thank you for having me this evening.
3: So, Chris, like I mentioned in your intro, you're one of the top kids instructors in our game. Take us back to when you were a
2: junior player.
3: How did you first get interested in golf and who was the first person to put a golf club in your hands
2: Yeah you know I was fortunate my dad uh brought me to the golf course he had just joined a club and he took up the game later in life and um you know just introduced me to the game and and um you know I I was fortunate to have him as a guide and but also grew up, grew up around a lot of good players and 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 almost had live video right in front of me. Uh didn't hit a lot of golf balls, just played a lot of golf with uh you know, with kids that were were certainly going to Division to One college playing. Um and, and that's that's how I, I sort of picked it up. I hung around some older kids. I was a little young kid around there and and every uh every day my dad dropped me off the golf course during the summer and picked me up in the evening or played some additional rounds of golf with me um after he was done with his day. So uh So fortunate to grow up um, around some good players. My dad was uh, was instrumental to getting that done.
3: Chris, I saw an old interview that you did. And in it, you said you were playing college golf and working at a club as a cart boy. And the head pro came to you one day and asked if you'd like to come work in the golf shop and learn about the golf business. Is that how it got started for you for golf becoming a career path?
2: Yeah, it was, Um, you know, I, I, I I was, you know, a decent junior, played college golf at West Georgia. Um, you know, I was taking some summer classes, got my job, you know, over in Carrollton and um yeah, the pro, you know, I, he uh you know, he just said, Hey, you know, what do you want to do? And as a college kid, you don't know what you really wanna do much and uh he, he was uh he, he sort of took me under his wing and showed me uh, you know, a lot of things about the golf business. He even you know gave me the junior program and that was what traditionally happened to an assistant golf pro they were saying okay hey you're the low man on the totem pole you go take care of the juniors um and i enjoyed it you know and and, and that's you know that was my first taste of teaching the game uh besides playing it so that's that's absolutely how i got in and that's been a number of years ago but uh it's it's been a, a good decision ever since
3: and Chris, how much of your junior golf experience—the things that you talked about a moment ago—how much does that play into how you go about teaching your junior players?
2: You know, I think some of it, but I've also studied around. You know, some really good junior instructors around the country, and you know, I, I love to learn. I, you know, from from US Kids to to TPI to to Snag to you know, just you know, having the opportunity to talk to. Um, you know, instructors that have the same passion as I do. And, and, uh, so it, it, it mixes in there nicely because, you know, I, I grew up as a junior player and, but, you know, the times have changed, you know, since, since way back when. And, and I, I try to stay up with that as far as technology, what the kids are into, uh, and, and how to, how to best relate to, to our juniors and, and, and get them introduced to a wonderful game and, and get them to stick and play, uh, for a long time too.
3: Who are some of those other junior instructors that you've been around that have influenced you?
2: Yeah, I would say number one, uh, John Godwin, with us kids. Um, I still get to spend some time with him, and and just his insights and his experience. Uh, you know, seeing uh, kids develop in his program and and asking questions from him. Uh, Nicole Weller is a great source of information. She is um, she is a, a gem in our our industry uh so calm and collective you know almost the opposite of what i am teaching kids and um you know just just those two people i think uh epitomize you know the passion of of seeing a young uh boy or girl pick up the game of golf and and whether they want to make it a career or just make it a game that they play for a lifetime uh those two people i would say really 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 uh, have influenced me a lot
3: Chris, when a parent brings their child to you for his or her first lesson, how do you go about making this new game that they're being introduced to make it a game that's that's fun for them and they want to come back and take more lessons and and start to play the game on a regular basis?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. First, I I try to really make them feel comfortable. Um, I, I think growing up, I I saw some some places that. Uh, juniors weren't welcome. Um, you know, they, they really didn't roll out the welcome mat to, to kids playing the game. So I, I want to, you know, talk to that junior golfer and, 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 and sort of get to know them and make them feel comfortable. I, I, you know, I, I, I sort of dress in some, you know, funny pants. I wear some loudmouth stuff and some high colors and, and be really energized, um, around those kids. And, and, and I think that adds to, uh maybe making them feel comfortable and then once they start to feel comfortable then you know i can start to you know show them some of the things that are going to you know have them enjoy the game the fundamentals of the game and that's that's what i want to do i want to make them feel comfortable so they want to come back to the golf course there's you know the, there's one of the things that i really really uh like and 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 feel honored when a junior golfer or a parent comes to the golf course and outside of a lesson time and and the parent says oh you know little johnny or little sue you know asked me to come to 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 play today or come to the golf course and that makes me feel real good i've done my job if i hear that from a parent or or a junior i want to come to the golf course that that means a lot to me
3: as parents we all think our child is uniquely gifted and he or she is going to be the next tiger woods or annika sorenstam how do you go about setting the parents' expectations so we don't take the joy out of the game for our kids?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And, and there's, you know, parents come in all different sizes. You know, there's some parents that that haven't ever played the game of golf, but they they know the importance of introducing, you know, their child to, to a, a game they can play for a lifetime. And there's some parents that maybe think they know everything. And, and each parent has the best intentions for their child and i think the communication between the parent and and the coach is super important and i i really try to say hey i'm your resource um any kind of questions please you know please don't hesitate to ask um you know we all have the best intentions for your your child and and let's let them play let's let them play this game uh, um and and hopefully they they listen and hopefully they allow you to be you know the the guide uh, for their, uh, their child's, you know, journey into this wonderful game. Uh, but it doesn't always happen. Like I said, uh, they may think, you know, they know better or maybe another coach knows better. Uh, but, but I think it, it, you gotta be honest with the parent and golfs, you know, a challenging game, you know, um, to, to get to an elite level, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of good players out there, but there's, That elite level is is challenging to get there. And if you're honest with the parent, uh, I think that's a good start. I think that's that's the way we need to begin our relationship. Speaking
3: of knowing better, we tend to want to coach our kids, you know, do this, don't do that. Why are you doing this thing? And none of us are a top 50 junior master professional like you are. Is that part of the upfront expectation setting that, look, I'm the teacher, I'm going to you need to let me teach? As opposed to you know the parent wanting to kind of butt in and and say, "Don't do this, make sure you do that." you know that sort of thing we we try to take over what you're trying to do and then we end up getting in the way
2: yeah I, I think one of the things I do in my classes i I sort of I ask the parents to be on the sidelines and 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 every now and then you get a parent you know almost like a baseball you know uh parent that you know says, "Hey, you know uh." Do this, you know, or do that. I really try to keep the parents, you know, as uh, as observers during my classes and certainly answer their questions after class. Um, and I think, you know, when when say in an individual scenario, I don't mind a parent watching the lesson and I'd, I'd ask for just them to watch and listen, because I also realize they're going to spend more time with their child than I am and. If they listen, they may pick up some things or the same wording or the same verbiage that I'm using to help their uh, child learn. Uh, maybe something that we're trying to get across, and and I'll bring the parent in at the end of the lesson and almost you know do a little counsel with both the student and the parent to say, okay, this is our goals from our lesson and this is how we want to do it. Uh, you know, and and hopefully the parent says, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Instead of trying to throw in you know, the whole buffet. I, I sometimes say, Hey, every, every golfer wants the whole buffet. They want, you know, so much at one time. And we just have to, you know, sort of take little pieces and, and, and go from there. But I think the where we go with the parent is to say, okay, hey, guess what? I'm okay with you being, uh, you know, being here. Uh, I need your support. Your child needs your support. Uh let's talk the same language and 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 we both have the same goals for your child to to enjoy this great game of golf.
3: At what point or at what age do you start teaching the fundamentals of the grip and the golf swing versus just allowing the kid to, to hit the golf ball feel the joy of getting it airborne or or rolling one into the hole?
2: Yeah, I mean I start kids as young as 3 and 4 years old and 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 I'll teach some fundamentals there's there's some fundamentals that they can learn at an early age and and i think with you know with with the equipment better um suited for kids you know us kids makes a great club that's fit for maybe the correct height the uh the proper weighting uh better than maybe you and i growing up you know and i grew up you know we all had some cut down clubs and maybe we were a little bit too heavy and um you know so i think uh, that leads to the proper fundamentals at an early age i certainly teach athletic fundamentals you know throwing and catching and balance in that so i think besides just getting them the sense to get get the golf ball in the air or or roll the ball in the hole i think fundamentals can be taught from day one
3: what about the camaraderie of the game chris Is, is part of the learning process to teach kids to to celebrate not only their own successes but also the success that the other kids in the class are having
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I believe in group scenarios as far as teaching kids in groups, Um, you know, and, 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 and kids love to be around their friends. And, and that's, that's the joy of it to see kids, you know, in, in a little team versus team and, you know, competition super, I, I, I promote competition, but I also create uh some social, you know, situations where they're working as a whole group to, you know, to maybe beat one of the coaches or to just gain, to win a game against um, a, a goal or a challenge. So I think, um, you know, PJ Junior League has done a great job with that, where it's it's a team scenario. They, you know, PJ Junior League gives them jerseys and they put their numbers on the back and they put their last name or the team name on the back. And this has created a, a wonderful uh, situation for these kids to 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 play the game, get on the golf course in a less pressure situation, and pull for each other too. And even in the PJ Junior League and in the leagues that we've run, the parents, you know, are, are there in a in a very supportive role for no matter their kids, but any of the kids in their group. So, so yeah, I think you know the Junior League has uh, has has promoted you know some very very good camaraderie and sportsmanship because uh, that's what the name name of the game. I think you see golf. As a sportsmanship game, more than 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 some other sports.
3: Chris, what are some of the most fulfilling moments you've got to have watching your junior players go out and have success on the golf course?
2: Yeah, it it means a lot. Um, you know, I had one student, and I started working with him. It's, um, you know about a junior in high school, and and you know he's a good player, good athlete, and all of a sudden we work together, and he sort of blossomed, and and that's how sometimes it happens, and you know he went on to play golf. Uh, in college and, and, and quite successful in college. And now he's a, he's, uh, he's one of my coaches during the summer and, and he, uh, he sort of, uh, has taken that love of the game and, and he, he teaches full time as, as a teacher at a school and, but comes during the summertime and helps me, uh, teach some kids. And, uh, you know, it, it makes me feel good that I had a lot to do with his development as a, as a golfer. Um, and, and, and I think you know, a couple other, you know, situations when, uh, the parent, you know, comes up, will say, you know what, uh, you know, you're the reason my son or daughter plays the game and, 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 and they're, you know, they're, uh, enjoying it, they're getting better. And and your initial interaction, your initial, uh, development, uh, has been a great part of that. So that makes me feel really, really good. And, And that's sort of why we do what we do. That's why I I get on the lesson tee and and start the kids young and and have some fun and and a youthful nature to 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 do, you know, to to have an impact, to 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 teach these kids or allow these kids to learn a game for life, a lifetime.
3: Chris, I want to get a playing lesson from you that all of us can use to become better chippers of the golf ball. You have a one legged drill. That I saw that can help us hit more solid chips. Take us through that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I believe in balance and, uh, you know, and, and if you, you know, if you stand on your left leg for a right-handed golfer and you just take a little swing and even take a couple of practice swings and the first time you're probably going to fall over or at least lose your balance and, and try to catch yourself. But if you stand on your left hand, left leg and, and you just sort of swing the golf club, you'll start to get some kind of sense of balance and then you'll start to get some sense of control of the golf club and and you'll be surprised how well you'll make contact with that golf ball and and I do it all the time in my my clinics and from standing on one leg to swinging with one hand um, and and really surprise you know the, the golfers that that try that how well they are hey I'm one foot or one hand and um, you know, I don't want them to do it in the middle of a round, but it's certainly a great way to practice.
3: So let's take that a step further. Once we have gotten that sense of balance and we're hitting crisp golf shots by putting all the weight on our lead leg. Is that how you want us to chip going forward? Not again, not on one leg, but right. with the majority of the weight on our lead leg?
2: you know, I'd say probably a little bit, not all, but I would say, uh, maybe 65%. So I don't mind a little bit, um, you know, forward in your stance. I think it does help the golf club, um, make the right move into the golf ball. You know, I don't, I don't want you to think, you know, that I want you to hit down into the golf ball. If I move your weight a little forward, I think the golf club will follow that, uh, that, that, that movement going down to the golf ball. And then, You know, make some good solid contact and hit a good, good, good solid chip.
3: Chris, for those listeners who aren't familiar with Eagles Landing Country Club or Summer Grove, talk about both of those golf courses that you get to be at.
2: Yeah, so uh, Summer Grove is a great um, uh, semi-private course down in Noonan, Georgia. Uh, The 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 location I have there to teach is is tremendous. I got a couple practice holes that we can go use to uh, to create. You know, on course scenarios without getting in people's way. Um, and then Eagles Landing is a private club over in Stockbridge and been there a little over a year. And, um, it, it's been a fantastic facility. We have 27 holes of a Tom Fazio design. And, and one of the reasons I got an opportunity to be here was, um, uh, it was a new ownership that came in and a friend of mine, he was working there and said, you need to come see what we have going on and we need somebody like you to, to get our junior program back up and going in the right direction. And, and so from zero kids, you know, a couple of years ago, we've got about 30 kids this past summer. And, uh, that's, that's, that's a lifeblood of a club, you know, getting the kids to play and the families to play and and we'll have a great 2024 building that, uh, that program at Eagles landing. For our friends here
3: in the Atlanta metropolitan area, how can they come get a lesson from you?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, you can, you can give us a call, uh, actually junior golf 365 is, is the website. So I'm easily accessible through that. Uh, or, or call the club at Eagles landing is, uh, is the best way. Cause I spend a majority of my time there. Uh, I live down in Noonan. So I spend some time at Summer Grove in the afternoons, uh, with a ton of kids.
3: Chris, how can our listeners also follow you on social media?
2: Yeah, we're at, uh, on Instagram. I post some good stuff on Instagram uh and try to do a little better job. It's at golf coach Chris and uh Instagram. You know, we do a uh a little bit of, you know, in the process of, of of doing these little short clips, just like you mentioned, hey, chipping on one foot where it's not too much. Uh it's not overwhelming in uh trying to get you to think too much about the golf swing, but getting some simple drills that can give you maybe a different feel that you haven't felt before.
3: Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. Thank you for all you do to help grow our game. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you sometime soon.
2: Absolutely, Chris. Thank you for letting me be on your show and you come see us at Eagle's Landing and and come play a little bit. I appreciate that.
3: Merry Christmas, Chris, to you and your family. I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday season and I hope we get to catch up with you again soon.
2: Yes, sir. You take care. Have a great evening. Thanks. You too.
3: Folks, that is Chris Knobloch. Again, Junior Golf 365 is where you can find him online at Golf Coach Chris on Instagram. And folks down at Eagles Landing Country Club, go see him there. If you're anywhere in the Atlanta metropolitan area, maybe you can also catch him some afternoons over at Summer Grove. But he is doing great things with the junior programs there. And he's just, you know, there's a reason why he's a U.S. Kids Golf Top 50 Master Teacher. Those don't come along very often. Again, top 50 and master teacher on, on top of that, that tells you how good he is. You heard about all of the things during the course of our conversations that he is doing for our junior players, a wonderful guy, a wonderful coach and, and a guy that's out there growing the game from the very grassroots. You heard him say these are the kids that are going to come, come along, that are going to grow our game and are and going to be out there as a part of these country clubs and these golf courses. They're the future of our game. And he is doing a great job of of building that piece up. Can't thank him enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to come be a part of it. And I certainly look forward to hearing more about the things that he is doing with junior golfers in the Atlanta area very, very soon. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. I want to send out my sincere thanks again to Tom Patrick, Paul Alexander, Gary D'Amato, and Chris Knobloch for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are PGA Tour champions pro Bob Estes is going to be back. Adam Lockwood, the director of golf at the Golf Club of Houston, will be making his next On the T debut. A longtime friend of the show and the very best yoga instructor on the planet, Catherine Roberts, will be back, as will another champions tour pro, Neil Lancaster. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll tune in and be a part of it with us. You can find this show available as a podcast, just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on triblive.com and the Pittsburgh Tribune Review site. Just go to triblive.com, click on Sports, and then Podcast. You're going to find Next on the T available for you free, front and center right there for you. You also can find the show out on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audioboom, and Player.fm. And as always, my sincere thanks to the folks over at Good Pods, for making this show one of their recommended podcasts and a staff pick. Please download their free app and stream your favorite podcast right there on your favorite device. But most of all, my thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.